Welcome to BizTalk. I'm your host, Jim Lebedo. In addition to joining you every week here on BizTalk, I'm the founder and president of the Performance Group, a sales development company dedicated to helping company presidents grow their profits. The Performance Group offers recruitment programs, sales training, and value realization workshops for businesses that want a competitive edge delivered by a superior sales force. Okay, last couple of weeks we've been talking about uh, value realization, how to get paid for the value that your company brings. We're talking about growing your organization. Bo Burlingham, who is the editor-at-large for Inc. Magazine and his new book, The Knack, talked about that. If you've not had a chance to go to the website, which is up and running, which is biztalkradioshow.com, and you want to pick up on the two podcasts we have out there on those two topics, I would suggest you do that, biztalkradioshow.com. You know, we start out each segment here um, every week with the key question. So let me give you the key question for tonight. Do you have the sales force right now that can sell, meaning meet your objectives in today's environment? Do you have the right salespeople right now to meet your objectives? That's the topic we're going to center in on tonight. We have a special guest, Dave Curlin, who is the founder and president of Objective Management Group, the leading sales force assessment company. You're really going to enjoy Dave's insights because we're going to hit on three topics tonight with Dave. Number one, why some people are going to struggle in today's selling environment. Number two, raising your expectations, how to get your sales force to perform more. And also, based on Dave's experience, what is he seeing out there that is currently working? So I'm excited that Dave's going to join us here in a few minutes, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. You know, just in my office this week was the president of a company. You know, he's got a great product. In fact, it's pretty much revolutionary. He has spent several years proving out the concept of this uh, business model, and he's developed to the point that it actually does work. So we're talking about the president of an entrepreneurial-driven company that's growing. Number one issue, can't find the salespeople to sell his product. Sound familiar? He has spent the last two years trying to find the right people who will grow his business. He's tried offering a salary to the salespeople, and what he's learned, he was attracting either inexperienced salespeople who could not sell or salespeople who wanted a salary so they could kind of sit on the sidelines, even though they were working for him, and wait for the ideal job to come around. And when that came up on the horizon, they jumped and took that job. Then he tried straight commission and found out he was attracting desperate salespeople. And desperate people do desperate things and sometimes try to hard sell people into buying some things just so they can get the commission. And he admits to me that he's not in the recruiting and the sales training business. So as a last option, he just gave up on trying to find salespeople. His next tactic was to take one of his internal people and make them an outside salesperson. He found an internal person who he thought had the salesman's personality, you know, that outgoing, glad-handing type of sales personality that is so stereotypical of what we think of salespeople, and made him the outside salesperson. You know, he had the personality to find the business, but what this person was lacking were the skills to overcome the, pall, the stalls, put-offs, and objections the prospects are giving him today. 
you know, that's just one of the meetings that I was involved in this week. And another meeting I was involved when I was meeting with the VP of sales. And he said, uh, you know, one of the key questions I asked him was, was he holding on to salespeople that he should have let go six months ago? And the answer was yes. And I said, given the current market conditions, are these salespeople selling? And he said, no. And I said, well, then, really, what are you going to do about that? So if those conditions sound familiar, you're in luck because that's exactly what we're talking about with Dave Curlin here on our program. Dave Curlin is the founder of Objective Management Group, the industry leader in sales assessments and Salesforce evaluations. He's developer of their flagship assessment called the Dave Curlin Salesforce Profile. He is also the founder and CEO of Dave Curlin & Associates, a consulting firm specializing in Salesforce development. He has authored several books, including Mindless Selling and Baseline Selling, How to Become a Sales Superstar by Using What You Already Know About the Game of Baseball. He's a top-rated conference speaker and regarded as one of the leading authorities on Salesforce development in America today. So Dave Kernland's going to join us right after the break. You're listening to Biz Talk. I'm your host, Jim Lebedo, and this is News Radio 1040 WHO. We're back, and we're talking to Dave Kernland, and you're listening to Biz Talk on News Radio 1040 WHO. I'm your host, Jim Lebedo, and Dave, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jim. It's so nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And Dave, uh, the, the the leading question I think that um, are on people's minds today, at least in our audience out there, is what can we do about the current conditions we find ourselves in, meaning the economic conditions, and finding salespeople that can probably sell in these economic conditions? And that's no, two questions. That's two questions. Okay. Well, pick which one you want to start with then, Dave. Well, let's, let's start with what can we do about it. And I think we can we can talk about a number of things that we can do about it, but the most important thing is to pretty much ignore it. You know, the more we talk about the economic conditions and the more we acknowledge the economic conditions and the more we dwell on the economic conditions, the more real that lousy economy becomes. And I think while it's okay to acknowledge that times aren't as good as they were, there's lots of business out there. Business is still being conducted. Money is still being spent. And there's no such thing as a spending freeze. Okay, so you're really talking about then a mindset change. First thing is the mindset change. You know, it's like I had a, a VP of sales in my office the other day and was complaining that people weren't buying. And I, I had to stop and correct him. I said, well, it's not the fact that people aren't buying. They're just not buying from your people. <laughs> Exactly. That, that's exactly what it is. You know, there's, there's two kinds of selling, as you know, Jim. There's, there's the selling that encompasses most of what gets done, which is we're already predisposed to buying this thing or this service, so who are we going to get it from? And then there's we don't believe we need this service. We think we can do without it or do it ourselves. And then the competition is internal r- rather than external. But in both cases, uh, when when salespeople are so in tune with what's going on with the economy, how the stock market is so depressed, and how desperate some retailers are, and bankruptcies and foreclosures and credit crises, and then they hear a prospect say, you know, this is a tough time right now. Money's kind of tight. 
this is something we think we're going to need to put off until the second or third quarter of 2009. If the salesperson is is equating that to everything they've heard on the news, about the only thing they can say is, oh, yeah, I, I understand, makes sense. So who's going to take the salesperson's part? Who's going to argue on behalf of the seller? Who's going to make the case that, you know, we just spent an hour and a half together talking about your problems and your issues and how much these problems are costing you. So given that the cost of the problems is greater than the cost of the solution, why in the world would you put this off three more quarters, continue to incur this cost just because the economy is struggling? It would seem that if I can impact your bottom line in a positive way, there's urgency to fix this problem now rather than wait till the second or third quarter. Well, and Dave, and I, I know that uh, you're like me. You've sold through a, a couple of recessions in your career. What do you think, if you had to put your finger on the key of keeping that mindset in your sales force, what are some tactics or suggestions you would have for our VP of sales or our sales managers or even our salespeople who, be, who would be listening? Well, I think first and foremost, it's let's become aware of what all the stalls and put-offs sound like out there right now. And if we're aware of the stalls and put-offs, then we can recognize them as stalls, put-offs, objections, lies, sob stories, excuses, instead of a condition that we can relate to and accept. We don't want our people accepting, relating to anything right now. It's all, a, it's all an objection. It's all stalls. It's all put-offs. That's number one. Let's, let's get unemotionally involved. Let's take a step back away from how tough things are. And let's distinguish between uh, conditions and stalls and excuses. The second thing to be aware of is, and, and this is an issue in a lot of cases, we have salespeople selling to companies that are doing fine. There, there's no problem. But because the conditions are so bad out there in the economy in general, they're using it as an excuse. And they're saying, you know, things are tough right now. We're putting a spending freeze on. Uh, if we do anything, it's going to have to be an unbelievable deal. And we need to make our salespeople aware that not everybody's being affected by this. Not everybody's in tough shape. Not everybody's cash has been depleted. There are a lot of companies that's still deep in cash and doing well and, and being just slightly impacted by this. And they have to distinguish between who's really being affected and who's just taking advantage of it to drive lower pricing from from their vendors. Yeah, I think I think that's. And, re- Go ahead. And then the third thing is, I would I would increase my coaching, more coaching, more often with more of my salespeople every day, making sure that uh, when I'm pre-call strategizing, that my salespeople really have a plan and a goal in mind. And, and they're confident in their ability to get there, and post-call debriefing so that when they didn't reach the goal and didn't execute the plan, we can identify what they might have done wrong. And with increased coaching, uh, I believe we have a greater impact on what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, and there are fewer hours during which they can get distracted by what's going on out there. Okay. When we come back, Dave, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit on you. And thank you. That's great insight on the current conditions of what's going on. And But when we come back from our break here, I want to talk to you about why some salespeople are pre 
predisposed to those put-off installs and the conditions that you've been talking about. So you're listening to BizTalk, and our guest is Dave Kernlin from Objective Management Group. And this is Jim Lobato, your host. We'll be back right after the break. You're listening to BizTalk on News Radio 1040 WHO. Welcome back. Our guest is Dave Kernlin. You're listening to Biz Talk on News Radio 1040 WHO. This is Jim Lebedo. And, and Dave, uh, let's go back, maybe in time a little bit, uh, back to when you first had the concept of starting Objective Management Group. Uh, prior to that, you have and still have today your own sales development company. But what I found interesting in in looking back on uh, the start of Objective Management Group, was really your insight on why some salespeople are predisposed to what you would call the current conditions that are existing today and why other people maybe aren't exposed to that. So give us some background on what you've discovered about why some people could perform under today's conditions and other people are going to struggle. Sure, I'd be happy to. You know, there's there's two parts of selling that determine whether a salesperson succeeds or not. Now, the first is the, the skills that they have, their competencies. And the second is the weaknesses that might get in the way of those skills and competencies. So skills are pretty measurable, and we can teach skills. And salespeople, you know, have varying degrees of skills, and they can get by with limited skills. But the real kicker is the weaknesses. These are the things that pop up that they don't know they have. They don't know they're getting in the way. Sales management isn't aware those things are getting in the way. And and the thing that's most powerful in an economy like this is their, their collection of beliefs, especially the beliefs that sabotage their outcome. So an, an example of that is times are tough, like we were talking about in the last segment. They have that times are tough mentality going on, then chances are uh, when a prospect says times are tough, that's going to make sense to them. They're going to understand it. There's not going to be much they can do, do about it. If, if a prospect says, you know, we really don't have any money right now, well, they're struggling with money. They're going to understand that too. So a belief is self-limiting and can sabotage their outcome when that belief is consistent with an objection, stall, put off, a lie, or an excuse. So we're really talking about empathizing. So and, what you're really saying so, is that part of selling, the first part of selling, you know, selling is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if, right. you're, if you're buying into that stuff, you're going to be susceptible to that stuff. Exactly. Okay. And there are some other uh, big weaknesses and one of them is getting emotionally involved. And in an, an economy like this, salespeople will tend to get more frustrated and more discouraged than they might in a strong economy because there's, there is less buying going on than normal. Um, things haven't stopped, but they're not as good as they could be. So if salespeople who are used to closing at 75% are suddenly closing at 40%, Salespeople who are used to closing at 50% are suddenly closing at 33%. They're going to be more frustrated. That's going to raise their level of emotional involvement. When they're emotionally involved, they find it hard to control the selling process. The, the next thing that would, would 
played big right now is their tolerance for rejection. If they're emotionally involved and if they're not as effective as they were and people aren't buying as much as they did, they're going to be very careful if they're subject to, to the pain of rejection about putting themselves in a risky situation or at least one they perceive to be risky. So in this case, what happens is they're in a scenario where they need to close or ask a tough question or make a big ask, as some people call it. And if they think there's a chance they could get a no for a response, they might just steer clear of that question, which means that they're always going to be beating around the bush and they're not going to be direct and they're never going to know exactly where they are, what they have to do differently in order to get the business because getting rejected is so painful to them. And while logically you can tell them that, you know, they're not being rejected, it's the product or the service or the timing or the interruption or the offer or the price or the proposal for the company that's being rejected, try getting that through to them when they feel the rejection so personally. And then worse than the rejection itself is for some people how long it takes to recover. You know, a strong sales, everybody gets rejected. There's no selling without rejection. No, especially, selling wouldn't, especially in this economy. Even, I'm sorry. Especially in this economy. Right. Now, selling wouldn't even be a, a challenge if rejection wasn't part of it. Right. Now, no one would want to do this anymore if it was so easy that everybody could succeed. So one of the reasons it's so lucrative is because that you have to put up with things like rejection. So everybody gets rejected, but depending on how quickly they can recover, that has a great impact on how effective they're going to be. So if you can get rejected, recover in a few minutes, and be back at it, great, no problem. But if it takes you a few hours, that's a few hours of idle time. If it takes you a few days, that's a few days where you're doing only comfortable, safe activities. Maybe you're just calling on existing customers instead of going hunting for new ones. Maybe you're just maintaining accounts rather than trying to close accounts. And if it takes days or weeks or months to recover, you know, the year is over. You can't, you can't make it in an economy like this unless you're effective, you know, every selling minute that you have. And that's another thing that you have to do in this economy is you've got to manage your time more effectively. You've got to make sure that every possible minute that can be devoted to selling, that you're devoting to selling. And the rest of the time is taking place prior to 7 in the morning, after 8 o'clock at night. Yeah, so it's a matter of priority and focusing, and and uh, I say clearing the deck and do nothing. You know, you're nothing but selling time is truly nothing but selling time. You're absolutely right, Jim. We're talking with Dave Curlin, who's the founder of Objective Management Group, who's the industry leader in sales assessments and sales force evaluations. And and Dave, I was talking to a VP of sales the other day, and we were talking about growing revenues. And and, and one of the things I asked him, I said, I, I said, Paul. I said, All right, have you hung on to some salespeople that you probably should have let go six months ago? And he lets out this big sigh and says, yeah. <laughs> I said, okay. You know, given the fact it's just a little bit tougher out there right now, do you think your people can execute and hit the objectives you have for them right now? And he said, probably not. So what advice do you give the VPs of sales or sales managers or presidents who are listening and they know they've hung on to some people and then they got caught kind of by surprise by this quick downturn in the economy, what they could be doing with those people? Because we're not just going to go out and fire them. 
So what insight well, do you have on that? That's a great question, Jim. And the reality is uh, it's, it's a double-edged sword. You know, the folks who were doing fine when the economy was doing fine, who are now struggling, they're going to struggle as long as the economy is continuing to misfire. Uh, they don't have what it takes to compete in this difficult economy. They don't have uh, the wherewithal, the skills, the strength, support uh, selling against a tremendous amount of resistance. So on, on one side of the coin, we can say, on one side of the coin, we can say, you know, it's the economy, so maybe I should cut them slack. We'll just get by until the economy turns around, and I won't do anything rash or drastic. On the other side of the coin, we're looking at a scenario where Tom Peters just said this could go on for two to five years. And if we've got people who aren't the right people right now, they can't get it done in this economy. Do we want to carry them for two to five years? until this thing turns around, or we want to take the resources that we're investing in those people, the money that we're investing in those people, and we want to go out and get some people who have proven that they can be effective selling against adversity, selling against resistance, selling against competition that's driving prices down. And I don't want to tell anybody what they ought to do, but common sense says that if you're trying to save your business, if you're trying to make it through this tough time, if you're trying to hang on to profits and growth, that you've got to equip your front lines, the very people who impact revenue with the best possible people that you can put in place. And the good news is, since there are companies that are failing right now, there are salespeople available through no fault of their own who can help. They're out there, and this is the time to recruit them. Yeah, it's interesting. A study just came out from one of the um, um, placement firms here in Des Moines. They did a study in, on 09, what companies are going to be doing for employment. And 47% of the companies says they're not going to be recruiting. And then there was like uh, 13% of the companies in Des Moines said that they're actually going to be downsizing their staff. And we've been telling our clients, now is the perfect time for the same reasons you've just stated, you know, you may have a hiring freeze, but don't have an interviewing freeze. Be looking for these people that may be sitting out there. And also, yeah, now may be the time to get the competitive advantage by having a superior sales force, especially when other companies really aren't going to be hiring. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. It's great, great business practice to be doing that. And if you start with a philosophy that every hire will be an upgrade, hire people who are better than your best people, and you can't feel bad about cutting loose one of your worst people. You talk about um, um, not only the um, what may be holding salespeople back today and, and possibly what could be um, preventing them from execute on, on the marketplace we're in. The other thing that I've heard you talk about is really raising the expectations you have for your sales force. Can you shed some light on that? Sure. And that's so important. I'm, I'm glad you brought that one up. Uh, what we're talking about is the difference between salespeople who hit, come close to, or miss their goal, and salespeople who consistently overachieve. You would not put up with one minute 
with a controller or a CFO or an accountant or a bookkeeper who could only account for 94% of your money for last month. Hey, boss, we accounted for 94% of the money. The 6% is out there someplace, but we came pretty close, so we should celebrate this. That would never happen. You'd fire that person on the spot and replace them with somebody who would get the job done to 100%. And if you're in manufacturing, you wouldn't put up with a quality control engineer who came to you and said, you know, our, our quality control for the last month was 96.4%, too low. You'd fire them. You'd replace them. But when sales managers come in and said, hey, we hit 96% of budget, why do we celebrate that? Why is that okay? Why do we high-five and backslap over that? That is every bit as much of a failure as only being able to account for part of the money and uh, get only partial quality. <clears throat> so it's real important that we aim for overachievers, people who exceed their goals every single month without question. And the way to get there is to take the 80-20 rule, the rule that says 80% of the sales force will suck and get rid of it, delete it, obliterate it, erase it, pretend it never existed, and replace that 80-20 rule with my 100-0 rule. The 100-0 rule says that 100% of the salespeople who work for you will overachieve. And once that rule is in place, it's a rule. You have to follow it, and you'll begin to select only the people who could be overachievers, not people who would be just good enough just get by, or mediocre, or fill a, fill a seat that you need filled. They will overachieve. And once you have enough overachievers, they're not going to put up with mediocre B players or underachieving C players. They're going to want everybody to be overachievers. So the culture builds upon itself, and the success builds upon itself, and they each drive each other, and they each work harder to be the best the following month. And that's the kind of culture that that causes a company to accomplish extraordinary growth. And David, I, I just I can imagine people listening to this program right now saying, well, that that's great. Um, um, when you get back to this planet and get back to reality, uh, maybe we could uh, execute on something like that. I, I just, I mean, aren't you talking a little bit about fantasy land? I mean, does that really exist? Yeah, I'm talking about fantasy land. I'm talking about being on another planet, I'm talking about having two heads. <laughs> Because as long as people think that it's not possible, it's not possible. You get what you believe in. And as soon as you believe that you can have this kind of a sales organization, that you can achieve this kind of consistency, that you can accomplish this kind of growth, well, that's when you'll start doing things that would cause that all to happen. We're talking with Dave Curlin. You're listening to BizTalk. We'll be back right after this. This is News Radio 1040 WHO. We're back. Dave Kernlin is our guest. He is the founder and primary developer of the assessment that his company uses called the Objective Management Group. That's the name of the company. So, Dave, um, you know, we've talked about a lot of things in the short time we've had today. One about what may be holding your salespeople back, one about 
raising the expectations for your sales force. Give me some examples of what you're seeing out there. You get to talk to a lot of companies. You get to be in front of a lot of groups. What do you see in that's happening right, and what do you see that's happening that could be improved upon? Well, let me give you a couple of examples. First, let me talk about a manufacturer, a well-known manufacturer. You have some of their products in your home, and uh, one of the divisions of this company sells to the automotive industry, and there's probably no industry that's more depressed overall than automotive. I think we heard on the news yesterday that GM stock is now worthless. So it doesn't get any worse than that, right? Correct. So this company has had a, a history of its sales force being reactive, being order takers, chasing RFPs and RFQs, and uh, one of their first goals when, when I talked with them was they wanted to make the transition from account manager to more of a hunter-closer. They wanted their salespeople to be able to sell value instead of just make presentations. They wanted them to sell more consultative. One of the first things that we did after we evaluated their sales force and found out that they didn't have any of those kinds of salespeople and that it was going to take some development is we started working on the first thing on their wish list, which was getting them to be more proactive. This is a great example, going back to what you said about me having two heads and being in another planet. It's a great example of what can happen when you believe and then demand that it happens. So I spent an hour with this on a webinar showing them how to get appointments with new opportunities. Now, in the past 24 months, they hadn't generated any new opportunities on their own. They were just chasing after RFPs, RFQs, calling the, the big automakers, saying, do you have any new projects going on that we can quote on? So we, we helped them build the right message, and then we told them how to get people's attention and how to keep their attention and how to deliver that message in order to get a point. And this is just a group of 10 salespeople, and... We just spent an hour on it, and then in the two weeks that followed, those 10 salespeople developed 40 new opportunities. Those were 40 more opportunities than they had had combined in the last two years. So that's one example. If you identify what needs to be done to continue the growth and continue the profit and set new expectations and provide the tools and the resources and Make sure they understand it's not voluntary and hold them accountable and measure it and you can accomplish some great things. So now in a depressed industry, selling into a depressed marketplace, their orders are about double where they were at this time last year. Now if you translate that into a strong industry, selling into a strong marketplace, it would probably be quadruple. So you can't achieve these kinds of results. That's great, Dave. And what are the, what is the, uh, you said evaluate your your uh, sales people. You know what you're looking for. Talk just a little bit about the instrument that you pioneered years ago that could really kind of shortcut right to some of the issues that are going on so you can take something that's really kind of intangible, kind of touchy-feely, make it very tangible so you know what to go to work on with your salespeople starting tomorrow. Sure, Jim. Uh, I'd love the opportunity to talk about that. You know, we, we developed the, the very first sales-specific assessment 
back in 1989. And it was sales-specific in that it wasn't originally built for something else and then marketed as something that could be used on sales. It was built for sales. It was built to evaluate sales people and sales forces. And it's evolved over the last 18 years. And it's at the point now where if a company wanted to evaluate their sales force, it is so fine-tuned that we could answer just about any question that a company would want to know about their sales organization. For instance, which of these salespeople can make the transition from account manager to hunter? Uh, which of these salespeople could, could learn to sell more cultivatively? Which of these salespeople uh, could prove by two, three, four times? Um, what impact is sales management having on my sales board? Do I need to hire a sales manager? I've been doing it myself. What should I do? Can these salespeople execute my strategies for going forward? What are reasonable expectations for this group? What are the reasons why we're losing business to the competition? Why are why is our conversion to closing so low? Why is our sales cycle so long? Pretty much any question you can think of, we can answer those questions with data points. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and the, I'm going to ask you the obvious question, but you have a lot of experience with that. When you put that information in the hands of the right people, what do you see happen? Well, when, when companies are committed to growth, to revenue, to people, to processes, to best practices, to profit, when that commitment is there, uh, we give them actionable steps. We give them issues that, that they can absolutely say, okay, if we do this, this, and this, then we'll get a return of that. And when they make these changes and they get the help that they need, they have remarkable results. And, and we, can, we can show you know, from the 8,500 sales forces that we've evaluated and the 400,000 salespeople we've assessed, Typically, when these companies move forward and start to work on these issues, uh, that the return on their investment is somewhere between 25 and 50 to 1. Okay. So it, it's a win-win-win all around the board. They end up improving their people, improving their processes, improving their competencies. They improve their ability. They grow market share. They grow revenue and profit. Total win. Thanks, Dave. Hey, for more information on um, Dave Curlin and the Objective Management Group, you can go to our website, which is biztalkradioshow.com. That's biztalkradioshow.com. If you would like to assess some of your salespeople, just drop me an email. Send it to jim at biztalkradioshow.com, and we'll get connected on that. It's just simple, jim at biztalkradioshow.com. Also, coming up, we have a special event December 9th I wanted to tell you about, and the title of this event is Quit Competing on Price and Win More Deals, Creating the Value that Your Customers Will Pay For. It's an executive briefing we're holding right here in Des Moines at the Embassy Club, which you know is top of the principal building, and it's for CEOs, presidents, and VP of sales. 
If your company's facing these issues, such as losing deals to the competition on price, your salespeople end up negotiating lower prices because your buyers perceive you're selling the same stuff as the other guy. If you have a superior product or service and you're still losing deals, or if your salespeople claim they're losing deals because the competition is cutting their price, you'll want to come to this executive briefing. Information on that executive briefing can, uh, again, be found on our website at biztalkradioshow.com. So make sure that you uh, look that information up if you want to attend that. So um, tonight's topic has been really focusing on your salespeople and what it takes for them to perform today. Hope you found it very informative. And I'm so grateful you could join us here on BizTalk. I'm your host, Jim Lebedo, and we will see you next week.